remarkable idea. An idea that has intrigued and attracted and literally thrilled thousands upon thousands of men, women, and children. And you, my friends, are about to witness this idea become a reality. For this is the story of the miracle sea in the desert. Once again, serve you those sounds of salvation. First time listeners, turn on, tune in, and drop out. This is a very different kind of show, a place where we don't feel so alone. Let us chase away the light no matter what you at home choose to believe. I do admire you where curiosity, live and direct, and in the flesh. You can find the podcast version of this program by going to michaeldeacon.com. Joining me tonight on a very special edition of End of Days, the Michael Deacon program. We have a very, very controversial guest live for you. None other than the one and only Jim Fetzer. He has a lot to share with all of you here tonight. I'm looking forward to this one, folks. I hope you are too. Hopefully all goes well this evening. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for allowing me into your hearts and into your minds. Here we are again. On a night like this, I hope you're doing well out there, somewhere out there on this island earth. Thank you to those in America for supporting the program, and also those outside of America. As always, we have business to attend to, boys and girls. And don't forget that this is a call-in show. Do love to hear your little voice. That number is 760-332-8724. One more time, 760-332-8724. 24. Now let's get down to brass tacks and bring in the one and only Mr. Jim Fetzer. Jim, are you alive and well? Uh, I am, Michael, and it's a pleasure to be with you. I have quite a story to tell. My goodness. And Jim, as we begin this evening here, I do want to say thank you tremendously for sharing some of your time with all of us here tonight. It's always fun when you're around, Jim. It's a great pleasure, Michael, but I'm telling you, no one's going to believe what's actually transpired here over the last several months. Uh, Oh, yes. Everyone, I suppose, knows that Mike Palachek and I founded a company, Moon Rock Books, back in uh, 
2015, after Amazon.com had banned our very first book, uh, Nobody Died at Sandy Hook, which went on sale on 22 October 2015, sold nearly 500 copies when it was banned on 19 November. Now, that's pretty odd in and of itself, Michael. You had a book selling nearly 500 copies in a month. It's going to be a runaway bestseller. It would make its Amazon gets a percentage. They were going to, you know, get fat and happy. Not that Amazon isn't as fat and happy as they could possibly be. But it appears that politics entered the situation. Uh, they banned the book claiming it was in violation of their standards. They never were more specific about it. But in fact, it had been produced with a subsidiary of Amazon called CreateSpace. So the likelihood it violated their standards was very, very remote. It had 13 contributors, including six current or retired PhD professors. But the topic was, of course, highly volatile. Right. Because, yeah, because we had established, Michael, that the school had been closed by 2008. It was loaded with asbestos and other biohazards damaged by a hurricane. Even there was a major flood, it turned out, in the area in 2007. So they actually gave up the school in 2008. There are all kinds of ways of knowing that is the case. We included a lot of them right in the book. Uh, others were not so easily adaptable because, for example, Wolfgang Halbig had a very extensive video of the school inside and out, and you could see all kinds of damage to the school, that it was in deplorable condition, lots of mold, cracks in the wall. They, it, it, the furniture was all pushed around, even shoved up against the windows. Uh, they were using even beer cartons to store material. And when we put the, the, the video up initially, we got lots of reports from former teachers who said, yes, that's what they do with an abandoned school. They use it for storage. So we knew things weren't on the up and up from the beginning. You, you could even tell that from an aerial photograph of the parking lot because in 2012, the requirements for Americans for Disability Act would have demanded that you have blue and white park parking spaces with blue and white signage for persons who are handicapped. Uh, and and all the entrances or exits would have had to be wheelchair accessible. But oh, he had a side exit that was just a wooden stairway. No wheelchair could navigate. There was a steel pipe sticking out that could have popped the eye out of a little kid. It, it wasn't in a suitable condition to be operating, and indeed, because it was in violation with American for Disability Act requirements at the state and federal level, which I verified at the time, it could not have been legally operating as a school. All of this in the book. Not only that, but it was a 38-degree uh, ground temperature day, which is not freezing, but it's cold enough that if you were going to conduct school with little kids, you'd have to heat it up. But no steam or heat was rising from the building, no doubt because the boilers were too decrepit to be functional after having been shut down for so many years. Also, in the parking lot, and this is just looking at a single photograph of the parking lot, there was the oddity, the anomaly that all the vehicles in the middle row were parked facing the school. Now, there's only one access route to this particular facility, a Dickinson Drive. And if you're coming off of Dickinson, then the directions which are painted on the ground have you turn right, and then you curl around and park facing away. But it became obvious 
that what they had done was bring the vehicles in a single row and put them in two by two by two. I mean, it was much easier to do that way. And after all, who was going to notice? Well, what we established was this was, in fact, a, a FEMA exercise. It was a mass casualty drill involving children, where events on the ground, once you understood you were getting actually a jumble of things that had happened the day before, as well as on the alleged day of the event, the 14th of December 2012 versus the 13th, we even discovered the manual where it reports that the exercise would begin at 8 a.m. and end at 11.59 p.m. on the 13th to be evaluated the following day as a real event, where we had porta-potties already in place. We had a sign that says everyone must check in. We had pizza and bottled water at the firehouse. There were many persons there with name tags on lanyard. There were parents bringing children to the scene. But, but, but Michael J., of course, no child's going to bring a parent to the scene of a child shooting massacre. And it turns out that it's standard for FEMA exercises. They, they provide refreshments and restrooms and supportive bodies and the pizza and the bottled water. It says right in the manual, everyone must check in with a controller when they arrive. Hence the sign, everyone must check in. And FEMA identifies its participants by color-coded name tags on lanyards. So, I mean, it all fits for the FEMA exercise. And when you combine that with the following day, the day of the alleged event, there was no surge of EMTs into the building, no string of ambulances to rush their little bodies off to hospitals where they could be pronounced dead or alive. No medevac helicopter was called. They put out triage tarps, but no bodies were ever put on them. I mean, it was like a, a theatrical event. And indeed, we had a mountain of proof that was the case, which no doubt is a reason why, even though Amazon had at the time 20 books about Sandy Hook, some of which offered completely absurd stories, such as one of a teacher, Caitlin Roy, who was supposed to have saved 15 little first graders by packing them into a three-by-four bathroom, which had a door that swung inward. I mean, think about it. 15, six-year-olds, six let's say the average 50 pounds apiece, that's 750 pounds a squirming first grader, plus Caitlin, another 100 pounds. 850 pounds supposed to be packed into a three-by-four bathroom that would have been easily filled by a NFL tackle or guard who weighs in around 350. I mean, it, it was an absurd story, but Amazon gladly sold those books. Sure. Because they were consistent with the official account of a mass shooting in, in, in Newtown, Connecticut on, on 14 December 2012, and ours was not. Yes. And, now, and Jim, I'm sorry to cut you off there, but you brought up something here that I did want to get into into it here with you in terms of your books being canceled um, when was the last time you talked to mike pelichek oh well mike and i of course uh are in fairly regular communication i mean we exchanged emails i'd say yesterday i don't think we did today what what's what are you thinking about yeah I well, mean, i'm thinking what's yeah. ultimately going to happen with moonrock books ultimately Oh, it's going to survive and thrive. You'll be amazed. I mean, you're getting to uh, one of the punchlines here, Michael. Oh, perfect. Listen, okay, I'm listening. What's, ha what's, ha what's happened now 
is well it's a long story that's, that's why a, i was yeah. gonna you know go ahead but yeah amazon has now gone bananas and they banned a couple of, about a week ago they banned two more of our books and the moon the book and the boston book and then a, a few days later they banned three more of our books about orlando and dallas charlottesville and parkland so we began with one book we realized that since amazon was not going to allow us to sell. We needed to have our own outlet. We founded Moonrock Books. And over the years, we have now 12 books on our list, which are, you might think of as a conspiracy research library where Americans can go to learn the truth about these events that have been so politically significant because what I do in case after case is bring together the best experts on these different events and uh, added books that will reveal to the public what really happened. We can go into any of them at great leisure. I mean, Orlando is a perfect example. We recently observed the whatever uh, anniversary. I like not to use that word because that's supposed to be something positive. But in fact, it turns out that in Orlando, the the permit for the club had expired three years in advance, that uh, they repainted the club from white to black to show that it was closed. It had 150 legal occupancy with only 11 parking spaces. If it had been crammed full of over 300, as the official count claims, there would have been abandoned cars all over the place, but they were not there. Uh, they had crisis actors who were doing a very poor job. In some cases, they were actually carrying mannequins, literal mannequins, toward the club rather than away. The Orlando Emergency Medical Center even would declare they weren't going to charge for services rendered, the explanation being there were no services rendered. I mean, when's the last time you heard of a hospital not charging for a Band-Aid? Right. I mean, it's just absurd <laughs> what's been going yes. on here, Michael. It's amazing. At, at, at Parkland, to give you another example, they closed the school at 1 o'clock because it was Valentine's Day. It was a holiday. So you had 3,500 students went home. They only kept behind a couple of dozen. In fact, it, it's ironic that David Hogg, when he participated in this March for Our Lives on the 24th of March, it was supposed to have been inspired by the 14th of April event. So it's just, you know, like a month and 10 days later, and yet it's got hundreds of T-shirts, all kinds of professional acts, roadways are all shut down. You have tens of thousands, maybe a half a million participants. David Hogg was interviewed after he spoke during that event in Washington, D.C. by CBS, and he explained that day... He, he he realized belatedly something was going on at the school, and he got on his bike, rode two miles back to the school. What he'd forgotten was that the school, after laying the kids out, they were going to run a staged event. He was supposed to be part of it. So he was really revealing the truth about his participation. He would actually do interviews inside the school with other students who were also engaged as student crisis actors. To, to talk about how the, the party who was supposed to have affected this shooting, you know, uh, they thought they had identified who it was 30 minutes before he was officially identified. Uh, among the many anomalies is we have a wonderful young girl walking out and doing an interview about how she left the, the school in his company with a purported shooter. And she said to him, uh, she was surprised it wasn't you. And he gave her a double take. He said, huh? 
you know, because that was such an odd thing to say. Meanwhile, there was purported shooting going on in the background. What they did at Parkland, they had a, 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 a SWAT team member dressed up in the helmet and regalia using a, what's known as a SIM gun, Michael. It fires simulated ammunition, which is made out of beeswax and laundry detergent. It, it'll create a welt, but it won't penetrate the skin. So we had medical miracles uh, Samantha Fuentes and, and, and Maddie, uh, these women walking around later with Band-Aids on what's supposed to be AR-15 wounds. You know, one was supposed to have been shot in the chest and the abdomen. Well, if she'd been shot in the chest and the abdomen with an AR-15, she wouldn't be walking around at all, much less with a uh, Maddie Wilford, much less with Band-Aids, you know, on her wounds. It, it, I mean, it's just embarrassingly bad how they did this. The New York Times, all the mainstream media were running with this absurd story they had to know was false. The New York Times even ran a story about the devastating effects of these high-velocity 223 rounds. They're just slightly larger than a 22 caliber, but they're traveling at such an immense rate of speed. They, they shatter when they enter the body, and they do enormous damage, enormous damage. And how this couldn't possibly happen. You had fake doctors saying, yeah, they were lucky because they were hit with large caliber bullets when the caliber isn't even large. And, and that they sustain these serious injuries, which would be, you know, violations of laws of physiology. I mean, what are the... One of the important elements uh, I point out about how to identify these false flags in a, a lengthy program I presented, How to Spot a False Flag, where I go through a dozen or 15, is that you can't violate the laws of logic. You can't have, you know, this something be both round and square at the same time. If, you, if that's being presented, you know it's fake. You can't violate the laws of nature. Uh, because, which include the laws of physics, the law of engineering, the, the laws of physiology. I mean, we find that happening a lot in these events. And you can't violate the laws of technology. In other words, if you don't have the technology to affect a certain event at a certain time, then you can't have accomplished. That's true of the moon landing. We didn't have the propulsion power to escape low Earth orbit. We didn't have the the, the computer power to, to, I mean, an ordinary cell phone or an iPod has more computing power than was available in the 1969-70 for the moon landing. Yeah. You, you, we didn't have the ability to protect the astronauts from the Van Allen radiation belt. They would have died passing through. Uh, one of the great features of the moon book, and maybe part of the reason they banned it, is we did an updated edition here in 2017. Really wonderful book. It's one of my favorite of all the books we published, where I added additional evidence. You know, we got a whole but, lot more chapters, and it's quite a diverse book because it also has chapters on the death and replacement of Paul McCartney, which seems to evoke as much emotional reaction as even Sandy Hook from those who believe the official account. And yet we got a guy who's about four inches taller. He has uh, very good teeth and a normal palate. Paul McCartney was four inches shorter and had bad teeth and a narrow palate. He had a, has an oval face, whereas Paul McCartney had a round face. It all happened back in 1966, apparently on 9-11, that Paul McCartney had an argument with John at the studio and left in a huff. It was raining heavily. He was in his Aston Martin. 
there was a girl stuck in the rain, so he picked her up and let her get into the car. And she was so excited to be in a vehicle with Paul McCartney that she, she distracted him. She may have even thrown her arms around him, and there was a collision at an intersection. Paul was pinned in the car. She got out, but the car caught fire, and he burned to death. So the Beatles were stuck with a conundrum. You know, yeah, what do you do? Uh, Jim, uh, were you a fan of the Beatles by any chance? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I tell you, I did a show for uh, for a year and a half where I, every show began with Beatles. Every break was Beatles. I mean, it wow. was wonderful. I, I put together a Beatles tribute uh, program, Michael. I'm a huge fan of the Beatles. But, you know, it's interesting and ironic because I right think on. that the guy that replaced Paul, whose name was William Shepard, his nickname was Billy Shears. So you hear with the Sgt. Pepper album, they're introducing the one and only Billy Shears. If you study the album, the cover, you see it's a funeral. And it's a funeral uh, that is signified by a, 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 a left-hand bass guitar that's lying on the, the graveside. Over to the left, you see in dark images the Madame Tussauds waxwork of the Beatles. But then you have the resplendent Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band, all in this very elaborate costuming. And you can see it's noticeable right off the bat that the figure you initially suppose is Paul McCartney is taller than the others. Well, all the Beatles are actually about the same height. If you went back and look at Ed Sullivan, for example, when they made their fantastic debut on the Ed Sullivan Show, they're all about the same height. Well, this accounts for the oddity that after 9-11-1966, Brian Epstein, the Beatles manager, announced that they were no longer going to be touring. And the reason, of course, would be it would have been very obvious to the fans this was not Paul McCartney, this was somebody else. In the studio, they could record their music, and the guy turned out to be quite a musical genius. In fact, I'm convinced he's an even better and more creative musician than was Paul McCartney, but he was not Paul McCartney. Several factors appear to have gone into the decision to not share the information of what had actually transpired with the world community. Uh, one was the fear that Paul had a lot of adoring teenage girls, some of whom, learning he was dead, might have committed suicide. I think that was a hum humanitarian aspect of the decision to go forward. Another, I mean, this was a billion-dollar enterprise. And, you know, Ringo had raised the question, what about the band? Well, it just so happened there was a session musician of their acquaintance who was known as the Man of a Thousand Voices, uh, Billy Shears. He could imitate anybody. So he could imitate Paul. He was, he was not left-handed, however. He had to learn to play left-handed. Uh, John was completely convinced he was going to work until they took him off to Africa and did some additional minor cosmetic surgery to make him look a bit more like Paul. It, not only have I done several videos about this, but, but Nicholas Kohlerstrom of the UK, who's the leading expert on the London 7-7 subway attacks, where his book, uh, Terror on the Tube, is now in its third edition, has published a book on the life and death of Paul McCartney that's just wonderful. Yeah, it's really I, weird that you, you bring that up because uh, for the longest time, I, I never really even looked at the history of this band and seen that there have been all sorts of things uh, that have been speculated throughout the years. And uh, one of those things was that every member of the Beatles uh, had died and, and was basically replaced except for Paul McCartney. Well, that's actually the other way around. Yeah, the other way around, I, I don't, uh, okay. Yeah, I don't believe any of them were replaced. John Lennon was assassinated in New York. 
And that appears to have been because Nixon was paranoid that he was going to lead an anti-war movement and had him taken out. I mean, it was in all these cases, you have patsies who are blamed for the crime and the real assassin or assassins get away. I mean, and with JFK, there, uh, there were now eight. I had identified six JFK shooters, but there actually turned out to be a seventh that only Domagard identified, and I agree with him about the seventh. And there turns out to be an eighth who was on the south knoll, opposite the grassy knoll we all know of, where I've seen now two photographs, one in the possession of Rick Russo, another in the possession of Ed Tatro, that they're different photographs, but it's the same guy with the same rifle, but holding it, you know, in a different positions. Uh, where David uh, uh, W. Mantic, MD, PhD, who's the leading expert on the medical evidence in the assassination of JFK, now believes that Jack was actually shot a third time in the head. We had accounted for four shots to JFK. He was hit in the back by a shot fired from the top of the county records building by a deputy sheriff named as Harry Weatherford. He was shot in the throat by uh, from inside the triple underpass by an Air Force expert by the name of Jack Lawrence using. This is utterly fascinating. It was an experimental weapon of, of only a few had been issued. He was using a weapon that actually had been given to Curtis LeMay, who was the chief of staff of the Air Force, and to fire this bullet that went through the windshield. And I, I believe he felt he was acting in the nation's highest traditions because Curtis LeMay himself had given him this weapon to use to shoot JFK. But but he was still alive, so that we had this guy sometimes referred to as the Cuban reach out and make a fist gesture, which is to bring the vehicle to a halt. William Greer, the driver, pulled it to the left and to a halt to make sure JFK would be killed. During the interval, which I now believe lasted around 20 seconds, he's hit in the back of the head by a shot fired from the Dow, Texas, second floor the broom closet of a uranium mining company that was a CIA asset by an anti-Castro Cuban by the name of Nestor Tony Escadro, using a man liquor carcano. And by the way, this is the only weapon that was not silenced when, when, for example, this deputy sheriff, Harry Weatherford, fired the shot from the top of the, Delta, uh, the county records building. He was using a silencer he'd only obtained uh, about a week or 10 days before. He was actually implanting a Mandlicker Carcano bullet using a plastic collar known as a sabot by firing it through a .30-06. This is why the shot was so shallow in Jack's back. It only went in about as far as the second knuckle on your little finger. It had no exit so that they could have proof that he'd been shot with a Mandlicker Carcano. But, but the shooters, for the most part, were using their own preferred weapons, which is why it was indispensable to get the bodies into the hands of the military at Bethesda, where they could remove. In fact, it appears to have been flown, uh, unloaded from Air Force One on the opposite side into a helicopter while all eyes were on Jackie and Bobby as they were lowering the bronze ceremonial casket into a Navy ambulance, but the, it did not have Jack's body within it. He was offloaded on the opposite flight, phoned to Walter Reed, where the best forensic pathologists in the military removed these various slugs, since it would not have done to have two different caliber bullets show up when the official autopsy was taking place at Bethesda. And then the body was driven over there in a pinkish gray shipping casket and delivered to the back of the morgue at Bethesda. All the while, Jackie, with his huge entourage in the Great Navy Ambulance, was making her way toward Bethesda Hospital so that 
Gerald Custer, the radiation technician who actually took the x-rays, was headed upstairs in the company of two Secret Service agents. When he looked out and said, what in the world's going on? Is a great Navy ambulance pulled up. And Jackie came toward the building because he was already holding in his hands x-rays. The autopsy was already underway, and he was taking him upstairs to be developed. So, I mean, this, this is such fascinating stuff. And we got a book about it, too, at Moonrock Books. So, you know, that's a... JFK, who, how, and why. That that is the fourth of book I published on JFK in the most recent. Yeah, and that's still available at moonrockbooks.com, yes, correct? Yes, yes. All, all these books are still available at Moonrock Books, with the exception that the publisher, I think out of a Dave Gehari, to whom basically Mike Palachek and I gave legal custody of the of the company. Settled as a business matter. I think he was apprehensive about being sued in all 50 states. Of course. That could go on interminably. Yeah. So he reached an agreement that he would no longer sell. Nobody died at Sandy Hook. Uh, on the other hand, when Amazon banned the book, I immediately released the first edition to the public for free. So everyone can download for themselves the first edition of the book. Just by putting the title, Nobody Died at Sandy Hook, into their browser, they can have it on their desktop. And one of the benefits thereof is, although you don't have it as a bound volume you can carry around, you have all the images in color. Yes. Yeah, they're very, very clear and comprehensive. So, I mean, it doesn't leave any doubt that what was going on here was a FEMA drill. Now, one of the chapters 11, which I co-authored with Kelly Watt, who's made fabulous contributions to this case, included a death certificate that she had been given by Leonard Posner, who purports to be one of the father of one of the victims, Noah Posner of Sandy Hook. <clears throat> now, for reasons I believe had to do with a gathering intelligence about what was going on within the research community, Leonard Posner reached out to Kelly Watt, and they wound up having 100 hours of conversation over a six-month interval, during which Kelly told Lenny, as he calls himself, she didn't believe a word he said, didn't believe he had a son, didn't believe his son died. He insisted, she insisted he give her some proof. She wanted a birth certificate, death certificate, report cards. So one day, to her surprise, she gets a note from Lenny, you know, oh, I've got something for you. And she replies, what is that? Because they've been going back not only on the phone, but on the Internet. And he directed her to a blog where there was a death certificate, a birth certificate, a report card. She immediately noticed an oddity about the report card because the school on Dickinson Drive, the, the name of the road there, Dickinson, is spelled with an I, D-I-C-K-I-N-S-O-N, but the report card had it wrong, D-I-C-K-E-N-S-O-N, which, of course, is suggestive. That this, like the death certificate and the birth certificate, were fabricated. Indeed, in the chapter in the first edition, and it was identical in the second published the following year, 2016, I described the death certificate as a fabrication. It had no file number, Michael. It had the wrong estimated time of death at 11 a.m., when even the official account of the Sandy Hook shooting has it taking place between 9.30 and 9.40 or 9.41. It had oddities with regard to the type in the in the document itself because there were at least three different fonts and different sizes and different separation distance between letters. It had a, a dark texture in the background for roughly the bottom two-thirds, which led me to infer that it was 
the bottom two-thirds of a real death certificate combined with the top one-third of a fake. So I described it there and cited other reasons for believing it appeared to be a fabrication. Well, uh, when we published the second edition, we added four new chapters. We took out two. I'd included one about uh, uh, guns, the relationship between guns and homicides, how it turns out to be the case that when guns are bad, homicide rates go up. I mean, we're being sold by the Democrats. I mean, witness the debate of last night. Yes. Can we, we, we could talk about that in a moment here. I, I did want to cover that with you along with uh, the moon, but let's continue with, with uh, this case here. Yeah, yeah. You're going to get it because, lo and behold, to my utter astonishment, uh, last year, late in the in the year, I guess it may have been August, I received a letter from a guy named Jake Zimmerman That's from familiar. a law firm asking me to to correct three statements I'd made in the book that describing the death certificate as a fabrication. And another statement I'd made in one of the memoranda that were put together for the Sandy Hook, President of the United States, memorandum series edited by Robert David Steele, which, like the first edition of the book, you can also download for free. Just go to Robert David Steele's website. Well, I didn't think much of this letter because it seemed to me to have no merit. But then I was, uh, in retrospect now, not surprised. It turned out that on the 27th of November, that a lawsuit was filed here in Dane County, where I reside in Dane County, just 10 miles south of Madison, Wisconsin, a lawsuit for defamation. I was served on the 29th right here at my home, and the server said she'd never seen anyone so happy to be served <laughs> with a lawsuit. Because, uh, Michael, I've been contemplating, how can I get all this massive evidence, you know, about the FEMA drill, all the sorts of things I've been describing into a legal framework where I could make it available to the public in a form that, that demonstrated its validity. So I was very pleased to contemplate well, the idea. That, well, that Jim, that Jim, you were already a very controversial figure, and now you have even more heat on you. You definitely are well, persona non grata, Jim. Well... <laughs> Well, there, there are a whole lot of dimensions to that, Michael, and we'll get into it because, uh, you know, here I'm being served with a lawsuit. Yeah, you No are. one wants to represent me, see. Uh, it's rather interesting because there had been a fellow out in California by the name of Alexander Patale who has a lot of trial experience. He's done about 50 trials. He loved my work. He told me long before that if I ever needed his assistance, he'd be more than willing to contribute pro bono. So when I found myself confronted with this lawsuit, which I welcomed, so that I didn't, you can respond to a lawsuit in two different ways. You can make a motion to dismiss the lawsuit, or you can serve an answer. You make a motion to dismiss if you don't want to go forward with the lawsuit. But in fact, I wanted to go forward with the lawsuit. So I filed an answer in which I you know, began by saying, if, if the plaintiff who calls himself Leonard Posner is a real person, because I'd long since concluded he didn't appear to be a real person, uh, uh, Kelly Watt had not only received you know, this death certificate from, from Lenny by way of the, the blog, uh, but she had noticed that there was a striking resemblance between the, the alleged decedent, Noah Posner, and his older stepbrother, Michael Vabner. And, and she'd asked friends, she'd showed them these two pictures and said, can these be the same person? And they'd say, oh, yeah, sure, those are the same person. 
So I put together a blog, six of us went to work on this, and we established they had the same eyes, they had the same eyebrows, they had the same nose, they had the same mouth, they had the same ears, they had the same shape of skull. And at, at, at that point, it occurred to me, the obvious thing to do was turn to Larry Rivera, who had been able to effect the coup de grace to the thesis that the man in the doorway was Billy Lovelady, as right. the government has insisted forever. Where, where, where Harold Weisberg in the last four pages or so of his whitewash series, the second volume, photographic whitewash, uh, 1966, and said how the Warren Commission staff had a lot of trouble scrambling to debunk the idea that Lee Oswald was in the doorway where he'd been captured in a famous photograph. So that in the volume about, you know, JFK, who, how, and why, I go through the whole history of how we established that the man in the doorway was Lee Oswald. He had the right height, the right build, the right weight, the right clothing, the right shirt, the right outer shirt. He wore a t-shirt over a richly textured long sleeve shirt that was rather worn. But Marina would later recall having washed this shirt that he'd purchased in Russia. So when he was arrested, he had the same height, weight, build shirt and t-shirt as the man in the doorway. So that the police, in order to obfuscate that fact, had him do his mugshot just wearing his T-shirt, so you wouldn't notice a striking resemblance. It's been a a, a very uh, arduous research effort, but involved a huge amount. I mean, I published a dozen articles about how we uh, have been able to prove very true. You spent a doorway. That's true. You you spent a significant time with JFK and uh, all throughout these programs, well, these interviews rather that we've done, you have always told me how much the JFK assassination, how much that has meant to you. It's basically something that has fueled your interest going further down the proverbial rabbit hole, as they say, Jim. That's right. That's absolutely right. So, well, 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 Larry Rivera, who's done a lot of highly original research, mastered a technique in the general area known as photogrammetry, which is the application of mathematics to the study of photographs, where he, he discovered that you can verify whether two photographs are of the same person if you superimpose one over the other when it's taken from the same perspective, and you can match up the distance between their pupils of their eyes, the interpupillary distance. If you can match the interpupillary distance, you can do a, a, a superposition that will verify whether or not it's the same person. So Larry has a wonderful uh, video out there about how he demonstrates the application of these principles to two photographs that superficially look like they're very different women, one of whom at least is Marilyn Monroe. And he shows how when you superpose, it's indeed two different photographs of Marilyn, although they don't look like it initially. Then he shows another example of Jennifer Lopez, for example, J-Lo, and someone else who might or might not be J-Lo. And he superposes and shows, no, they're not the same person. So he, he goes through the whole principle thing and shows how the technique works. And then he applies it to, to Lee Oswald in the doorway versus Billy Lovelady. Well... Billy Lovelady thought it was very odd they'd be confused because he said himself he was two to three inches shorter and 15 to 20 pounds heavier. Not only that, but the FBI had him come in on the 29th of February, 1964, wearing the same shirt he'd worn that day. It was a completely different short sleeve 
vividly colored red and white vertically striped shirt that bore no resemblance whatsoever to the long sleeve richly woven textured shirt on doorman. So we knew it wasn't Billy, but what the government had done with this very famous photograph taken by AP photographer James Ike Alchins was to obfuscate the shirt and to actually darken the face so that he's holding his hands up to protect his eyes from the sun and Billy Lovelady. Uh, but you can't tell from looking that there are some faint images of Billy that are facial features you can still discern, but by obfuscating the shirt, they really, you know, changed the story. They did the various gimmicks during the hearings to, to try to justify claiming that Billy Lovelady had been the man in the doorway, not Lee Oswald, when in fact Billy was standing a couple of feet to Lee's left, as you look at it from the position of the the, the 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 figures in the doorway are looking at the photograph a couple of feet to his right. Well, what Larry did was find suitable photographs of both Billy and Lee to do a superposition on the facial features of the man in the doorway and establish beyond any doubt that the man in the doorway was Lee Oswald, where it fits hand in glove. You can see exactly how the features fit when you superimpose the image of Billy Lovelady the ears are in the wrong place. The jaw is in the wrong place. The nose is in the It's just not, it's awkward. It's totally wrong. It's not Billy Lovely. It's clearly Lee Oswald. And of course, that's absolutely sensational because it, not, it means not only can Lee Oswald not have been the lone demented gunman, but he cannot have even been one of the shooters, whereas I have been remarking there turned out to be eight, eight of the shooters. And Jim, so, who, and Jim, yeah. who is primarily responsible for the assassination, in your oh, opinion? Oh, Lyndon Johnson, without any doubt. He forced himself onto the ticket in Los Angeles in 1960 by threatening to uh, expose that Jack had... Uh, Addison's disease, which meant he wasn't likely to live a long, healthy life, that among his dalliances with beautiful women had been an East German spy. And moreover, he told Bobby if he weren't on the ticket that any legislative proposals coming down from the White House would be dead on arrival because his position of powerful majority leader, he'd bottle them up. When, when it was a, Jack had already invited Stuart Symington to be his running mate, but Lyndon had a box man. And Jim, we do have someone in the chat room by the name of Hypnotic Eyes. They wanted me to ask you, can you ask Dr. Jim Fetzer if he thinks Jack Ruby was the shooter who killed Oswald? Well, that's a very complicated issue. It appears that there was an FBI agent by the main of, uh, let's see, Boothalt. Uh, Ralph Sinkay, who founded the the Oswald Innocence Campaign has done brilliant work on this, and I am convinced by his research. And he's appeared on the new JFK show numerous times to talk about it. Oh, yeah. Play your, play your uh, show, Jim, for those that don't know that uh, you, yeah. you have a show. Yeah. Once a week, we do the new JFK show, and we've done over 200 and, 210. Oh, my. Yeah, this is cutting-edge research. This is all relatively recent at the rate of about one a week. Occasionally, because of conflicts, we you know might miss a week, but then we're back to it. They're on 153news.org now, by the way. Jason Boss had brilliantly backed up 153news.net so that when this associate of his took it over, but then sabotaged the whole thing deliberately, it appears, Jason was able to sell, save the day. So that I probably have 
100 videos on 153news.net. And we have all those. Well, I mean, if you count my JFK shows, several hundred. Yeah, you have 215 of those al alone. You got a lot and, of material out there. Yeah, yeah. So it, 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 it turns out that it appears there was an FBI agent who actually played the role of the shooter. It wasn't actually Jack Ruby. And, of course, that, that's consistent with Jack Ruby saying he couldn't remember having ever shot Lee. Uh, Jack appears to have been played for that role, just as uh, Lee was played to be the assassin of, of JFK. Yes, and, um, and but Jim, the fact is, when they when they announced oh, ahead, in Los Angeles that, that Lyndon would be running with Jack, one of LBJ's wealthy supporters burst into the Johnson suite, cursing and swearing because now he was going to help. Jack Kennedy become president. Bobby Baker took him into a, a bedroom and explained what they had in mind. He came out all smiles. Oh, yes. Said, oh, that was an excellent plan, where Bobby Baker himself would announce that Jack would die a violent death and that he would not live out his first term, where Lyndon actually sent his chief administrative assistant, Cliff Carter, down to Dallas to make sure all the arrangements were in place for the assassination. Yes, he was a bastard. He was a bastard. He was ruthless. Oh, yeah. There's an absolutely wonderful book about uh, Lyndon by, by, uh, entitled LBJ Mastermind of JFK's Assassination that you don't want to miss. Uh, Phil Nelson. Phil Nelson wrote the book. And if you just read the first few chapters about Lyndon's life and you see what a corrupt kid he was right from the beginning, I mean, it it's unbelievable. The man had no conscience whatsoever. There's, there's much more to be said oh, about yeah. him. But interestingly, your your query from the chat room is well-founded because Ralph Sinkay actually has, I think, provided convincing evidence that the events in the basement of the Dallas Police Department were staged. They were staged. It's, it's utterly fascinating. It really is. I, mean, this, I can't begin to tell you how unexpected it would be that, to have this finding at this late date, but Rousing Cave. Well, that's the, that's the problem with all these things that we talk about, Jim. It seems like we only get bits and pieces in, in time, and it takes maybe even 20, 30 years before we even well, get into yeah. the steak and potatoes of the issue. This is over 50 years since yeah, JFK's assassination, and this new book has just got absolutely sensational original findings that would never have crossed your mind in a million years. So I highly recommend. I mean, Amazon is seeking to ban our books. I mean, Amazon has now banned half of our dozen books at Moonrock Books. Now, we're going to be unrelenting. Uh, Dave did negotiate no longer selling the Sandy Hook book, but I'm going to. I'm already editing. It's almost complete. A book about this round one of the lawsuit because Interesting. you're going to learn. Yeah, I mean, this is this lawsuit is absolutely staggering in and of itself. And Jim, uh, well, I, I was going to ask you something else about JFK, but uh, I, I think we talked extensively enough. There was someone else in the chat room that asked sure. about uh, Columbine. That was from Cody. He was wondering what you thought about Columbine. I think we haven't really talked too much about that, well, so I'm I, curious. I haven't done enough research on, on Columbine to, to address it really truly. There are others who have, and, uh, you know, I would welcome your, your consulting, but I don't want to offer opinions for a case where I haven't actually brought together the experts and edited a book as Understood. I have on all these other cases. Yeah. See, I mean, I have books on Sandy Hook, the Boston bombing, Orlando and Dallas, Charlottesville, Parkland, JFK, 9-11. Uh, 
Uh, I have a book that's not quite complete on Las Vegas. I have another book that's not quite complete on Kavanaugh. So Moon Rock Books is going to continue to be your your most valuable resource for learning the truth about these events that the mainstream media, which is in collusion with the government and bringing these events about. I mean, look, this was an Obama thing. Oh, the Obama administration nullified the Smith-Mutt Act of uh, 1948 by means of the Smith-Mutt Modernization Act of 2012 in order to bring us Sandy Hook. Uh, Jim, I'm sorry to, to um, interrupt you there, but we do have a caller here. Sure. Yeah, Go ahead. Yeah, let's hey. bring them in. Hey, uh, caller, you hey, are... Michael, this is Frank Franken. How you doing? You are live on the air. I, I believe this is uh, Frank. What's going on, Frank? Yes, it's Frank. How are you? I'm good. How you doing? Good. Can you hear me okay? Loud and clear. Hey, I think I think someone's stream sniping you, Michael, over on a on a, a pillow talk channel or something. But I just wanted to get a quick shout out to Mr. Fetzer. Uh, good to hear him tonight. Great show as always. Uh, but uh, I just wanted to remind him to check his email box because with all the uh, censorship going on, there are some other tools out there for alternative publishing that he could be using to help in this legal case. Yes. So I'll just refer him back to his his network. But uh, I'd like to hear more about the, the, the trial if you if you got time, and I'll listen off air. Well, I definitely would like to do that. I just don't want to get too uh, into detail about this ongoing legal issue here. But we definitely can scratch some of the surface, no doubt. And, yeah, that, that's a good question. Well, that's something good to ask in terms of the books uh, having an alternative because we definitely are, are entering that sort of weird uh, time right now in society where everything is becoming censored or just inappropriate with whatever platform uh, or content the uh, the people providing us the, these platforms, if, if we're not following their guidelines or they're basically not following their train of thought, you basically get 86 well, let me tell you what they did with me, because it was really fascinating to have lived through this. Otherwise, I would never have believed it. Okay. I, I entered this knowing all the evidence was on my side. So I felt, you know, I got an initial report that the judge was a good guy, that we'd been fortunate to get this judge, uh, which obviously is crucial. So I submitted an answer, and uh, I... The alternative, this Jake Zimmerman, who turns out to be the principal attorney for Leonard Posner, and just to bring home how I don't believe that there that, that really is his name, Dr. Ewan, a fellowship of the Minds blog, had done two national searches and couldn't find anyone in the United States by the name of Leonard Posner. Uh, because... And I never quite completed the story about having Larry Rivera. I sent him the two photographs without telling him who they were. One of the photographs was of Noah Posner. One of was of Michael Vadmer, but, but Larry did not know who they were. I just said, Larry, without any context, no allusion to Sandy Hook or whatever. I said, are they the same person at different times? And he, he they were suitably... Uh, perspectively appropriate to do the superposition. So when he set the interpupillary distance apart, uh, to, uh, the same, he was able to do a superposition. And you could see Noah Posner turn into Michael Fabner in a gift that I've now published many times on my blog. I mean, it's absolutely devastating. There's no doubt whatsoever that Noah Posner is a fiction made up of photographs of Michael Fabner when he was a child. No doubt about it. So I felt, you know, going in, I was loaded for bear. 
Now, I submitted an answer that talked about a lot of these issues with Sandy Hook that I've already described, about how we knew it was a FEMA drill, how we even had the manual. The, the Zimmerman, the plaintiff's attorney, moved to strike my answer. I filed a response in which I explained there were two lines of proof I was going to uh, adopt here. One was indirect proof based upon the fact that it had been a FEMA exercise where no one had died, which meant that anyone, any death certificate for a purported decedent of Sandy Hook would have to be a fabrication. Then, in addition, I was going to offer the direct evidence based upon the features I've been describing, the typeface, the difference in shading, the absence of a file number, and so forth. Uh, so I would have indirect and direct evidence. Now, I had been really surprised that when I was served with the lawsuit, there was a copy of a death certificate attached. And when, within days of my being served, this attorney, Jake Zimmerman, called me, I said, right off the bat, I said, I said, Jake, I said, do you have any idea what you're getting into? I said, do you know anything about Sandy Hook? And I added, you know, this death certificate that you, you attach to the complaint, it's so poor quality, it's hardly visible, and it's legally useless. And he said to me that if I wanted a better copy, then I should contact the state of Connecticut and pay 20 bucks to get a better copy. Now, that struck me as very peculiar. They are suing me over a death certificate, uh, and yet they're giving me a copy that is so illegible as to be legally useless. And th their argument, and this is absolutely crucial, their argument is that the death certificate that I had described as a fabrication in the book was it in no material respect different than the death certificate that was attached to the complaint, where they had a much better copy in the, in the, in the complaint that was filed with the court, where you could actually see the features. It had a file number. It had a certification by the town, which occurs on the left-hand side, the, the town clerk being Debbie Aurelia. It also had a certification by the state at the bottom by uh, Elizabeth Fugale, which means it's a true copy of the death certificate, which has been certified by Debbie Aurelia. Now, the death certificate in the book had neither certification of the town clerk nor of the state. And in Kelly Watts' affidavit for the case, she verified that this was indeed the death certificate that had been provided to her by Leonard Posner. So I thought it was very, very strange. Obviously, whether it's a certified by the, the, the town and by the state is a material difference. How could they possibly argue there were no material differences? There was also this oddity that it took me a while to appreciate, that in 2013, Leonard Posner had changed the residence of the decedent. Now, I ask you, Michael, when's the last time you heard of a person changing their residence after they were dead? Not too often. Well, it <laughs> happened in this case. Now, that Leonard is amazing. Yeah, Leonard Posner changed the residence from that of his ex-wife where Noah had apparently been staying at the time he was supposed to have died, to his home residence with his father, where he claimed, when I had the opportunity to question him during a video deposition right here in, in Dane County, that he'd done it because it, it was emotional. You know, He wanted the death certificate to reflect where Noah had actually spent most of his life. I thought this was very peculiar. 
I would by and by before the case would be heard in summary judgment, which occurred on the, the, the summary judgments had to be submitted by the 30th of April and the oral argument on the summary judgment by the 17th of June. So this just happened like a little over a week ago. Yeah, very new. Yeah, I had obtained the... I ran my summary judgment past Alexander Patali. He liked it a lot. He said, however, he thought it would be stronger if we had reports from, from uh, document experts. So it turned out that uh, Peterson, uh, Reed Peterson, had used a document examiner in Minnesota by the name of Larry Wickstrom. So we contacted Larry, and because it was through Reed, they, he was glad to do it. So in the, in the meanwhile, we gathered two more death certificates. Dave Gehari had written to Debbie O'Reilly and got a copy directly from the town, and I had written to the state. I mean, I didn't know what Dave was doing when I did what I did. I'd written to the state and obtained five more death certificates, one for Noah, but also one for Adam Lonzo, who's supposed to be the shooter, Nancy Lonzo, who's supposed to be his mother, Averill Richmond, who's another alleged Sandy Hook uh, decedent, but who actually, that's not even her real name, um, but, but she actually sang at the Super Bowl, which was 51 days later, obviously not deceased. She was identifiable because she had this funny birthmark across her forehead, uh, kind of at a slant, like the texture of a football, kind of leathery-looking surface. Very odd birthmark. She sang at the Super Bowl. Uh, she was obviously not deceased. I wanted to get additional death certificates for comparison, and I got one for a dear friend of mine by the name of William Shanley, who'd been a film producer and director. And a very strong supporter of mine, where I'd sent him at his request copies of the book many times for him to distribute right in Connecticut, where he'd become kind of an annoyance, I think, to state officials who want to perpetrate, perpetuate the fraud, you know. Um, in any case, so I not only got that the death certificate from Larry uh, 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 Wickstrom, and I'm going to read you part of his report. But I got a second death certificate because I'd been in a long-term uh, discussion thread with a, a contributor to many of my books who's both a PhD in philosophy and also a JD. And he had two friends who were actually very, very smart guys, uh, one of whom had offered to, to help if he could ever be of help and happened to mention that he was a forensic document examiner. <laughs> so I I figure this is the time. So I reached out to him to ask if he could review the work of Larry Wickstrom and write his own report, which he did, and substantiated that Larry Wickstrom had done it properly, and that uh, he, in addition, looked at Noah Posner's Social Security card. And while most people are unaware, the Social Security Administration has changed the format, the form of the card, like some 37 times. So one easy way to falsify a, a fake de a social security card is determine when it was issued and whether it was even issued on the right format of the card at the time. Well, Noah Posner's was not. So he, he, he also wrote, and this was, in my opinion, very, very thoughtful. He thought any reasonable person looking at the, who was a non-expert in this area, looking at the death certificate that I had received from Kelly Watt and noting the points I've been making about it with the texture shading, the missing file number, the wrong estimated time of death, and so forth, would have been very reasonable 
to conclude that it was a fabrication. Now, there were these four death certificates. The, the one that, that was put up by Lenny Posner not only doesn't have the state or the town certification, no file number, it's redacted for the location of the burial and redacted in the Social Security box. The death certificate attached to the complaint had a file number, had both state and town certification. It had a redaction for the location of burial, but no redaction in the Social Security box, which was empty. The death certificate that Dave got from Debbie uh, Aurelia, of course, didn't have the state certification because he was getting it directly from the town. But instead of the handwritten file number, it had a partial printed file number, three digits of which, the last three digits of which did not correspond to the handwritten file number. The copy I got was had the handwritten file number, had the state and the town certification, had no redactions at all. So you had really four different death certificates. Well, let me read you uh, uh, part of the report of Larry, Larry uh, Wickstrom. Uh, I mean, this is really fascinating. Document examination report by Larry R. Wickstrom, examiner. Introduction. My name is Larry Wickstrom. I am a computer, printer, scanner, and network communications forensic expert, curriculum vitae attached. The documents that I usually evaluate for fabrication, alteration, and misrepresentation are financial contracts, affidavits, and exhibits entered with pleadings. As the client, Moonrock Books, was referred to me by an attorney that I have worked with on the foreclosure cases, I did not expect to find multiple obviously altered versions of a child's death certificate when I opened the email attachments provided for my initial examination. As an integral part of the written report, it has been my practice to provide a condensed history of events that warranted the document examination, which I examined when I examined documents after an action has commenced. It has been my practice to include type of action along with title and docket number in the introduction. At the time of drafting this report, I did not know, and given the content of the documents examined, chose not to inquire into the nature nor even the venue of this action until after completing my examination. On May 20th, 2019, James Fetzer emailed a copy of the court stamp complaint filed in the action entitled Leonard Posner versus James Fetzer, Mike Palachek, Runs Without Remedies, LLC, Dane County Circuit Court Case Number 2018-CV-0031-3122. Uh, now, I won't read every aspect of it, but I will read the following. No problem. Yeah. Go ahead. All examined certificates of death for Noah Posner, Noah Samuel Posner 86, have notable differences, as do even the two printed images, both of which are purportedly attested to by Register of Vital Records Elizabeth Frugali and certified by the seal of the state of Connecticut, true copies of a record filed. The copies of this record bearing the state file number 2012-07-078033 are notably different in appearance. The most notable appearance difference of certified A true copy version 4, where there's a space between the A and the true, is not the redaction as noted in the complaint to uh, certified A true, where the A and the true are side by side, copy version 3. 
The most notable common feature of these examined seal embossed true copy of a record certificates is that the contents of the box in the lower right corner, which would be for social security number, along with the title even some of the lines that appear to have been hand redrawn are notably absent from all of these state seal testified true copies of filed records. Now here's what he writes about these four different versions. Version one. The first examined Connecticut certificate of death. COD1 for Noah Samuel Posner, age six, is a 132 kilobyte JPEG image. Moonrock Books did not have the original hard copy document that was used to create this image file, and this document was examined in the digital format as received. The most distinguishing feature of this document image are the gray background color, the three black marker lines that obliterate the uh, internment location is recorded in boxes 29 through 30 and the illegibly titled box directly right of box 59, which would have been for Social Security. The dark black border that frames this image was obviously added by to the document image as the sharp dark black of this line is inconsistent with the low resolution of the image it frames and it abruptly terminates what should be the continuation of paper hole punch images on the left printed edge. The greatest oddity of the image document is what appears to be part of the Connecticut State Seal found directly below the written received for record date December 26, 2012 on a document that is obviously lacking the state file number. Now he's describing there the version that was given by Lenny to Kelly that I discussed in the book. Now it turns out that I apparently added that a dark black border in one of the occasions that I copied it for the book. But, I mean, it doesn't affect the content otherwise. Version 2. The second examined Connecticut certificate of death, COD2, for Noah Samuel Posner, age 6, is a 1.7 megabyte JPEG image. Moonrock Books did not have the original hard copy document that was used to create this image file. And this document was examined in the digital format as received. The most distinguishing feature of this document is an image purporting uh, that same Debbie, Debbie Aurelia Halstead certified this, a partial document containing changes as noted made on 6-14-13 to be a true copy of the original received for record on December 26, 2012, as this document contains Debbie A. Aurelia, the pre- hyphenated name because she now seems to have been married and now calls herself Debbie Aurelia Halstead. So he's talking about this prior to the hyphenated name. The name of the registrar that received this record on December 26, 2012, and the name that appears at this location on the state certified copy containing the same certification are Debbie A. Aurelia. This Debbie Aurelia Halstead section of the image also appears to contain the shadowy image of a registry stamp impressed upon this Debbie Aurelia Halstead certification. There are strikeouts and corrections in boxes 12 and 22 as noted. That's for the, you know, the, the, the residents right. of the scene. And dated 6-14-13 at the top of the document image. Appearing in the upper right-hand corner of this image document, purporting to be a state file number, are partial characters followed by the legible numbers 243. So th this actually is the one that Dave got from Debbie. This number scheme is not compliant with the state of Connecticut file numbering as found on the certified by a fixed embossed sealed copy, and neither the number scheme nor the font of this number print matches the character font as found on reference copy examples. 
the lower portion of the December 26, 2012 handwritten date is obviously missing, as is the lower printed portion of this document image. So that's the one Dave got from Debbie. Version 3, this would be the one attached to the complaint. The third examined Connecticut certificate of death, COD3 for Noah Samuel Posner, age six, is certified by the affixed state seal as a true copy, actual record copy. The most disturbing attribute of this document is the embossed seal of the state of Connecticut Department of Public Health, affixed to certify that the above is a true, where the words are joined together, copy of the record filed, that has been recklessly altered and repaired in an attempt to conceal the act of alteration. That printed form content was removed, is evidenced by the appearance in this location on version four. He's got a whole bunch, you know, of copies with highlighting different aspects of it. Another notable attribute is found on the left edge of the certification section of this document, COD3A, where Debbie A. Aurelia, registrar, attests that this is a true copy of the original received for the record. This marking differs in size from all other examined certificates, uh, listing December 14, 2012 as the actual or presumed date of death. This certificate uh, notes the correction of boxes 12 and 22 as per father, 61413 at the top of the document, and certifies itself as a true copy of the original received for record, and contains uh, a received for record date of December 26, 2012. The handwritten number code of this 2013 address corrected certificate is consistent only in a numerical content with a mechanically applied state file number code as found on the examined certificates certified by the medical examiner on December 16, 2012 and received for the record on 1313 is mechanically stabbed to state file number 2012 and Another certified by the medical examiner on December 16th and received for record on 12-21-12, mechanically stamped as state file number, so forth and so on. One would expect that a corrected and true copy of the original would have a mechanically stamped state file number. This certificate contains a handwritten file code, 2012-07-078033, inside the state file number box. Now, that's the one that was attached to the complaint. Here's version 4. This is the one I obtained. The fourth examined Connecticut certificate of death for Noah Samuel Posner, age six, found as attachment A of the complaint. Well, maybe that was the one I got, and this is the other, because they're all here, but all four of them are here. Uh, the complaint filed in the action notice, Leonard Posner versus James Fetzer, Mike Palachek, Runs Without Remedies, LLC, Dean County Circuit Court case number 2018-CV-003122. With the exception of differences previously noted and incorporated herein, this certified this, this certified as a true copy of a record filed with the State of Connecticut Department of Public Health is nearly identical to version three. O originality. No original State of Connecticut certificate of death was proffered for examination. No unaltered digital image file or unaltered printed reproduction of digital images or hard copy document reporting to be the original state of Connecticut certificate of death was proffered for examination. The examined, as cert, the, the examined certified by state sealed certificates are only certified to be true copies of the record file. None of these printed state certified records are certified to be true and correct copies of the filed record, which is a state of Connecticut certificate of death.
the examined, certified by state seal certificate of death copies were proffered with all contents of the boxes located in the uh, lower right corner, including the title completely removed. Certificates identified as indicate hand-drawn restoration of line boxes inadvertently removed. In other words, all four of these certificates are just littered with indications of fakery. Uh, alterations of certificate of death, version one. This is now his summary. The 132-kilobyte JPEG image COD1 certificate of death for Noah Samuel Posner, age six, is intentionally defaced by black ink markings and altered in appearance by the added black border. This digitally captured image records an alteration in the lower right corner that appears to resemble a portion of a seal, possibly the Connecticut State Seal. The multi-generational copy degradation of printed image combined with the low resolution of the captured digital image prevented identifying this marking as a cause of this curious the, the cause of this curious marking. So that would be the really bad copy. Version two. The 1.7 megabyte JPEG image, COD2 certificate of death for Noah Samuel Posner 86, is grossly altered by the deletion of the lower portion, which is approximately one-seventh of the actual form area, and the addition of marking, specifically the purported state file number, along with a registrar's seal and certificate images purporting that this assembled fabrication is a true copy of the original record, version 3. The certified by state CLCOD3 certificate of death for Noah Posner, age six, is intentionally altered and notes the reasons for alteration of information contained in boxes 12 and 22 at the top of the print, which is correction of address by strike through of original content. This version is intentionally altered by removal of form print as evidenced by and repaired in an attempt to conceal the alteration. The handwritten state file number also appears to have been an alteration. Examiner's determinations. This is his summing up. From my examination of the documents which were presented to me electronically and by U.S. mail, I make these determinations. One, that the 132 J kilobyte JPEG image certification of death for Noah Samuel Posner H6, COD1, as examined, is an altered and unreliable document image. No determination of originality or intentional act of forgery can be supported due to the multi-generational copy degradation of printed image and the low resolution of the captured image. Two, that the obviously altered in shape and content 1.7 megabyte JPEG image certificate of death for Noah Samuel Posner, age six, is a forgery. That's COD2. Three, that the state of Connecticut Registrar of Vital Statistics has issued two different and certified true versions, COD3 and 8 of state file number 2012-07-078033, a certified uh, a certificate of death for Noah Samuel Posner, age 6. Four, that for reasons disclosed and undisclosed, the content of state file number 212-07-078033 has been digitally and physically altered. My goodness. And Jim, by the way, I'm sorry to cut you off there, but we are joined by another soul here, I believe. Uh, they might have a question for you. Caller, you one, are... one final paragraph. Oh, Mike. go ahead. One, go ahead. one final paragraph. Five. Dude. Yes. That, that until such time as the state of Connecticut addresses and rectifies the conditions that allow this kind of record manipulation, any true copy of a record filed certified by the seal of the state of Connecticut Department of Public Health should be considered suspect and treated as unreliable. End of report. My goodness. Uh, caller, you are live on the air. What's going on? 
Hello, is this is this Mr. Michael Deacon? Yes, sir. Is that your voice that I hear emanating from my iPhone? I believe so. How's, Mr. Deacon, yeah, the pleasure is all mine, and I'm even more excited that I'm live here. I'm live like a suicide. That's with true. What appears to be it appears to be Dr. James Fetzer. Is that confirmed? Can you confirm that? James, James, can you confirm that? Well, I think so. I'm just writing what's the punchline here. I mean, are we sure that this isn't um, a clone? One of Dr. Fetzer's body body doubles. Is it this could one be of a body Paul McCartney. You know, there, there have been, I have done a lot of work on body doubles too. Hillary used uh, six or eight so far. In fact, even during the debate, she used body doubles. That's in the book or, from Orlando yeah. to Dallas and beyond. Although I have a video about it. Uh, let's see, it's called. Uh, Fake news issues of identity. Fake news issues of identity. Everyone listening to this show look, should look for that. I'm sure it's on 153news.org. Fake news issues of identity. I go through Paul Fall. I go through Noah yeah. Michael Vabner. I go through Hillary and her multiple use of body doubles. I'm, I'm sure there's one more. Oh, yeah. Some fakery regarding yeah. the body of JFK, that where they actually used a body double for the state funeral, which is why Jackie and Bobby said it doesn't even look like Jack, and they decide to have a closed casket. Well, we've confirmed that was because it wasn't Jack. Caller, yes, um, yeah, go ahead, caller. Yeah, I, I, I consider, I consider Doctor Fetzer to be the is leading this, real, Dan, real is researcher. Is this you, Dan? Is this you, Dan? Is this Dan Cromer? Uh, Yes, it is. Just, I'm out of you, Dad. <laughs> How great to have you here. Now, look, uh, uh, this guy here who's calling in uh, uh, is uh, an Mr. IT Deacon, guy. Can you mute him? Can you cut his He discovered that the soundtrack <laughs> from Las Vegas was a much too high quality to have been real, that they were playing a pre-recorded soundtrack in Las Vegas and then attaching to it coordinated special effects. Dan, I should have picked up it with you right off the bat. Uh, Mr. Deacon, are you still with us? I'm still alive. <laughs> I'm still here. Don't worry. Okay. I, I'm not sure um, who that man is that's speaking there. It sounds like he's deep, deep into the shadows, and, and I'm not sure what Okay, this is Dan. He's a practical and, joker. Michael, Michael, and, I think it's all really I, worthy to have this caller, but really, uh, you want to hear the rest of the story. The rest of the story I've got for you about this uh, this lawsuit is oh, really— Wait, wait a minute. Wait, wait one second. What did you say, caller? Did you have one more? Yeah, yeah. I'm not sure what these things are that that man there is saying deep, deep into the shadows, but I consider him an expert on body doubles. And in fact, I'd go so far to say that he is a conspiracy theorist legend, Dr. James Fetzer. I mean, Paul is dead. Nobody died at Sandy Hook. I mean, you know, Parkland, you know, and and Jim, it's, I'm just so delighted here to hear your voice and to be speaking with you live right now. It's just well, a thrill. You got it. And, you uh, got Michael, it. Yeah, Michael we haven't Deacon. spoken in a while, so it took me, uh, uh, you know, some time to realize it was you. But I'm glad for you to call in. This is such a fascinating yeah, you know, case. I mean, truly uh, uh, and extraordinary because— Michael, you've just listened to that death certificate yes. analysis by Larry Wickstrom. He concluded all four were fake. And he told me on the phone, he said to him, it was mind-boggling that the state of Connecticut was issuing fabricated death certificates and even ad, uh, issuing different 
fabricated death certificates to different parties to litigation. Yes. The, the second forensic examiner's uh, A.P. Robertson, who has even stronger credentials, backed him up and confirmed he was correct about his finding that all four of them were fabrications, though he would have argued the case somewhat differently. The same conclusion follows. He also, as I point out, concluded that the Social Security card for Noah Posner is fake and explained why it was very reasonable for me to have concluded it was a fabrication based on the evidence. See, I mean, if if this guy, I mean, th th he, he appears yeah. to me to be very much a public figure, but the judge was very inclined to rule that he Ooh. wasn't a public figure. If, if he's a public figure, then he'd have to yeah. prove that I was guilty of malice, that I knew what I said was false, and nevertheless asserted it knowing it was false with a deliberate intention to harm his reputation. Well, I don't do that. You know, I mean, I bring together the best experts on all these subjects and do my very best to discover the truth versus the falsity where sorting out authentic from inauthentic evidence is absolutely indispensable. That's why with JFK, it was a major leap forward when you discovered that the autopsy x-rays of JFK had been altered by patching a fist-sized blowout yeah. to the back of the head. When David Mantic went into the National Archives for the first time, this was in late uh, 1992, he told me before he went in, he thought he'd find evidence of a second shot to the head, which he did indeed discover, but also that the autopsy x-rays had been altered, and he found that also. I said that was great, because you know either way we had what we were looking for, namely a key to how they'd altered the medical evidence. He's done much more. He's now been into the National Archives nine or ten times, and he's discovered that all all of the JFK X-rays are non-original. Not there's not a single original JFK X-ray in the entire National Archive of JFK materials. That's quite yes. stunning. Yeah, thank you, caller. So, by the way, appreciate the yeah, call. Yeah, sure. Yeah, thanks for thank the call in here. Yeah, right, I buddy. appreciate it. I'm glad he called. Thank yeah. you, guys. Take care, Have buddy. Yeah, you got it. You got it. You got it. Now, and there he goes. So, you know, I'm very uh, sensitive uh, to what's going on here. Yes, sir. No doubt. And, and Jim, I don't mean to get too personal with you here, but how is the missus doing with all these things happening behind the scenes? Oh, not 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 real well. She was she she was great with me through JFK and through nine eleven, but look, but look, she hasn't been happy with the Sandy Hook, and this, of course, has taken an unexpected development. Because of get course. this, get this. I go into this hearing, this oral hearing on the seventeenth, uh, loaded for bear. I've got the two document expert reports; they all substantiate what I all the uh, he he had. Ruled out early on, way back in March, on March 11th, as I recall, that I couldn't pursue all the indirect evidence, that I had to only focus on the direct evidence. So he was blocking out a, a vast area of proof that would have shown that any death certificate from Sandy Hook was a fabrication. I wasn't allowed to use that. I was only allowed to focus on the authenticity of the death certificate itself. Well, I went at that with great vigor obtaining two expert document reports from it, at, which substantiated my conclusion it was a fabrication. You'd think that was case closed, right? We get into the hearing, and they're, 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 he and the plaintiff's attorney are going back and forth and back and forth, and I'm not even having a chance to present my argument. And, and the plaintiff's attorney 
stands up in front of me without showing to me first. He's got two certified copies from the state of Connecticut that have, I can tell looking at it, got both the registrar and the state certification. Uh, uh, but he's talking about these as having been obtained by Mr. Posner. I'm saying, Your Honor, I said, this is a shell game. I said, those documents have nothing to do with the case. I'm being sued for the document in the book. The judge went ahead and treated these as though this was really important evidence. Totally fake, as though Kelly Watt hadn't certified in her affidavit how the death certificate had been obtained from Leonard Posner by putting it up on a blog and how she'd copied it and given it to me. This guy was going on as though we just found willy-nilly somewhere on the Internet this death certificate that had suffered from reproduction problems of copies and copies and copies. That may have been why they had given me such a shoddy version attached to the complaint, because that actually was done by Xeroxing again and again to get a particularly shabby copy. Because as you well know, uh, Michael, and most of our listeners, Digital technology allows you to give an exact reproduction of a document again and again and again and again. There's no loss, no degradation. That's why digital technology is such a brilliant engineering innovation, why it's so superior to analog. You can get exact reproduction. So I was protesting. Uh, I, uh, the judge was just going with the plaintiff's attorney as though he was, you know, the inventor of sliced bread. I mean, he was <laughs> believing Everything Zimmerman said and essentially nothing I said, they actually had more or less resolved among themselves that the judge was just going to treat these examiner's reports as opinions. He said they're just opinions and that these differences in the death certificates were just differences as though they weren't legally and materially relevant differences that made the, the whole case favorable to me and unfavorable to the plaintiff. I actually had to ask, Your Honor, am I going to have a chance to speak? Because they were already tying up loose ends about whether or not Mike Palachek and I would be allowed to speak at the trial for damages, whether wow. we'd even be allowed to speak. It got, it got that far. Yeah. Wow. They'd already done tying up the loose ends before I had a, a chance to speak. And then I went through a written statement, because I wanted to make sure I got everything in that very methodically went through all the evidence I've been unpacking to you about the four different death certificates, the difference between them, the findings of the document examiners, that these were clearly fabrications. And nevertheless, even though all this evidence had been presented in all of the my documents that had been submitted to the court, he ruled that there, <coughs> a judge can only make a ruling in a, in a motion for summary judgment if there are no undisputed facts of the matter. In other words, only if everyone agrees on everything. Well, obviously, the, the most disputed fact of the case is whether or not the death certificate is authentic, which, of course, was being argued by the plaintiff, which I was denying, backed up by my document examiners and all that. He ruled there was no undisputed fact of the matter and that the plaintiff deserved to prevail on their motion for summary judgment. My goodness. So, so let me give you the bottom line. Just before this hearing, actually, it was during the hearing, they had filed what they were going to want for damages. Yes. So all of a sudden, I find them talking about a million dollars, and I'm saying to the court, I'm saying, where does this million dollars come from, Your Honor? Well, they had filed it just before the hearing took place. So, so now, with this trial scheduled for August, I'm facing a, a, a million-dollar liability over a death certificate I never saw before, had never commented or published about. 
I mean, this case is just a complete absurdity. And if anyone has any questions about the justice in the United States, believe me, my case is an object lesson. I was stunned. Yeah, this I is. Le I left the hearing, and there crazy. were reporters there who who the, they took a photograph of me and Mike leaving the hearing in a state of disbelief because this was going on right in front of my eyes. It wasn't strictly speaking a, a shell game. It was strictly speaking a bait and switch. Yes. So you know that was going on, but I mean it was all totally. Totally inappropriate. The decision could never have been properly made by the judge because there were so many disputed issues. Okay. Yes, and I'm, I, you know, I'm thinking about it now. And once we go to October to finalize what will happen here, you definitely will be getting that full five star treatment. Uh, basically, the same treatment that you will be deemed a threat, and that you will definitely have that sort of uh that sort of a five-star treatment that others have been getting as well in terms of bank accounts being frozen and uh, different uh, platforms kicking you off of it it's it's a terrible thing jim well i uh that they they have done their their damnedest now i have the opportunity to take certain kinds of actions legally that could make a major difference to the outcome here so i am doing those. I've been working diligently. And, you know, the next time we talk, I can go into in some detail what I will have done by that point in time. Yes, it's just quite apparent, in my opinion, that big companies uh, do not advocate freedom of speech, obviously. They are absolutely against the Constitution. Well, the whole thing's absurd. I, I mean, there's so many aspects of this that are just manifest absurdities. The idea they brought this lawsuit in the first place, the idea they claimed there were no material differences when there were all these differences. The fact that I had two forensic uh, document examiners testifying that all four of the death certificates that surfaced in this case were fabrications. The fact that the one is just saying is bewildering. The state of Connecticut is absolutely unreliable for any documents certified by the state. And the others explain not only are those documents fake, but the Social Security card is fake. We're voted already established that the passport is a counterfeit. This all supports my, you know, argument that Noah Posner is a fiction that was made up out of photographs of Michael Vabner when he was a child. And the judge ruled that out too. He said, "Well, we don't we don't depend on you know uh, a resemblance. Resemblance evidence isn't isn't permissible." Understood. And Jim, I do want to focus. But, but I insist, he, Michael, um, that, that there's nothing subjective about this. this. This is objective. It's replicatable. Anyone taking the same photographs, applying the same procedures would get the same results. They have the same eyes. They have the same eyebrows. They have the same nose. They have the same mouth. They have the same ears. They have the same shape of skull. Many of these properties do not change during your lifetime. Your shape of skull, for example, and your ears do not change during your lifetime. You might get a nose job, right? Or somebody has a broken nose. Sure. But for the most part, see, once you see that GIF, it's so powerful. Go, go onto my blog and just go back a couple of blogs. You know, you're going to find you're going to find that GIF, and yours is going to be blown away. It's obviously the same person. Obviously the same person. Yes, Jim. I have definitely seen that before, and it's it's quite amazing indeed. And I do want to shift your attention now to much more of what's going on uh, currently 
in the media. But before we do, we have another caller here. Let, let's take this sure, call. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, let's take this call really quickly. Caller, what's going on? Hello. What's up? Is this yeah. Jim? Oh, yeah, Jim's here. Don't worry. What's What's up, man? How are you? Oh, good. I heard you talk about uh, freedom of speech and, and censorship. In yes, I was and just, it, yeah, because Jim, once Jim goes through all these things, I'm pretty sure he's going to get that five-star treatment that we've seen other uh, provocateurs throughout uh, throughout the last couple of years now become completely censored and their bank accounts are, are frozen and different media platforms kick them off of it. And it's just a terrible thing. Go ahead. Yeah, um, like like we saw this happen to uh, Alex Jones. That's true, and uh, he he was one of the big ones, and, and uh, not 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 many people took notice of this. And now it's more and more. We got Laura Loomer. We have this thing going on with Project Veritas. Yeah. So you know, I, I wonder what's the best course of action to uh, still get this truth out, but but uh, you know, not uh, be censored. Is it to put it out anonymously, or uh, do you think it's just just go full bore? That's a great question, and I'm glad you brought up, by the way, uh, Project Veritas. They put out that piece about Google. Uh, Jim, I'm sure you are quite familiar with that, the entire Google Gustapo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Project Veritas, very, very good. I commend them. The the deal, what's going on with this lawsuit? It it falls in a special category. It's actually a a freedom of speech. It's a First Amendment lawsuit that's masquerading as a defamation. It falls in the category of a slap suit, if you've heard of those. Strategic lawsuit against public participation. It's to discourage persons from, from publishing their opinions when... The government doesn't want those opinions to be published. So, you know, that's what's going on here. It's it, You can even find Wikipedia has a fairly nice, concise summary about it. Uh, and get this, the, the last submission I had before the oral hearing on the 17th was my laying out all the background and why this really was a freedom of speech issue and why my role as an investigative journalist deserved my right to protect my sources because they were trying to get all my emails from everyone with whom I corresponded in relation to the preparation of the book. Well, I was adamantly concerned I would not do that. I would stand with Julian Assange and Edward Snowden and Chelsea Manning uh, against revealing my sources. So so they actually were coercive in, in their treatment of me because they said, well, they only really needed those if there were a question of malice here, and that if Leonard Posner were not a public figure, then there wouldn't be a, the question of malice, and they wouldn't need to go uh, after my my sources, which I felt was outrageous in any case. I'd laid out quite a powerful statement, I think, which I have subsequently published on my blog, but get for, for why it was inappropriate to have this lawsuit and why it really fell into the category of a slap suit. The judge admitted before the during the hearing that he'd not actually read that last submission of mine. I mean, look, this was put on a fast track. He had a fixed schedule in advance for the the sequence of the trial. Oh, that's not the way it's supposed to go. It's all got to evolve organically. You go through the process of discovery, of acquiring information about witnesses, documents, records. So it all has to uh, evolve organically. This is why trials take these these lawsuits take so much time. They're put on a natural uh, evolution as a function of investigation, discovery, 
<laughs> and further investigation and discovery. This this lawsuit was totally the opposite. He had a prefixed sequence that required that the motion for summary judgment be, be submitted by 30 April, that the oral argument be on 17 June, regardless of discovery. Get, get this. Mm. Jake Zimmerman even sent me a follow-up on a discovery motion I'd made before the hearing, after the hearing, when it could no longer make a difference. I, I mean, I'm telling you, the 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 other the legal people involved in this case thought it was very strange that it was on such a fast track, and what it was yeah. actually on was a fixed schedule, a predetermined schedule that I now believe was designed with politics in mind. It seems like what to- yeah, it seems like from what you are telling me, what I'm picking up on is that this judge is already trying to get you out of there as quick as he can. Yeah, I think it was a foregone conclusion. Yeah. But I mean, you know, I've got to, I've got to now make the case that this was improperly done by the form of an appeal, and that's been preoccupying me. And I'm not at liberty to talk about the elements, but you can already see from what I've described here, this was grossly unjust. This was a miscarriage of justice. I wasn't afforded due process. I wasn't even allowed to defend myself. Uh, the way I wanted to defend myself, which included the indirect evidence as well as the direct evidence, and even with regard to the direct evidence, my my proof coming from two forensic document examiners was discarded. Yes, and and, and there was a allow uh, he allowed new evidence to be introduced from the plaintiff's attorney when it was irrelevant and immaterial because. The, the documents he was introducing had nothing to do with the death certificate for what I for uh, over which I was being sued, and where they they were having a conversation as though Kelly Watts affidavit had not been attached to my motion for summary judgment. I mean, I'm telling you, the aspects of this that were outrageous are just stunning. My goodness, caller, you you did have a second part to your question. You said in terms of what we can do, correct? Right. Uh, you know, because I, I think that um, the situation people see and, and feel is intimidation from this. Oh, yeah. so what's, you know, people are intimidated. They still want to get this information out. Like, what's, do you think it's better to, like I said, you know, have an anonymous account or go on a message board or, or just, just put it out there because, you know, I mean, it's time's running out. <laughs> well, we, we've got to put a halt to all of this uh, massive censorship. The social media giants have all been complicit. Uh, I mean, it's absolutely staggering how they have been affecting the history of the United States. Uh, let let me give you one illustration. Um, before the midterms of 2018, D- Donald Trump had like a 50 percent approval rating at the time from the latest poll that was coming from um, the, the Rasmussen, which had been the most reliable. He even had a 40% approval rating in the black community. Well, that's staggering. Uh, I mean, if if Democrats can't count on virtually 90 to 100% support from the black community, they aren't going to win elections. So I was with considerable confidence predicting Trump would pick up three or four seats in the Senate and keep the House. It didn't play out that way, right? And I'd been baffled. That was, I was shocking, baffled. right? We all thought maybe red wave or something, and then no. No, 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 no. no, no, no. Listen, I, I, I was baffled until about a year later, Google admitted that they changed their algorithms and they shifted as many as 76 million votes toward the Democrats. Mm, and that explained why. And that explained why Trump lost the House and didn't pick up three or four. I got he got a couple of seats in the Senate. But he should have got three or four, and he should have held the House. Google 
manipulated as much as 76 million votes for the Democrats. And, and they have been massively taking down conservative voices and conspiracy research right and left. Get, get, get this. This Leonard Posner himself did an interview with a guy in uh, Berlin. This was only about a year ago. And it's all, all this stuff is in my, well, not the Google 76 mil, but the, what I'm telling you now is in yeah. my filings. Leonard Posner boasted of being responsible for taking down tens of thousands of content items from the Internet. Now, a video, a YouTube video might be one content item. A blog might be one content item. He's responsible for taking down tens of thousands. He has used this organization called Honor, H-O-N-R Network, uh, to, to, as a base for operating a massive censorship operation, not just in defense of the families of Sandy Hook, who, who are all totally fraudulent. I mean, look, uh, the, the, the sympathetic but... but but uh, naive Americans contributed between uh, uh, 27 and 130 million dollars in donations because they were so grief-stricken the, for the parents. Well, that means if you fake losing a, a child uh, or uh, a relative at Sandy Hook, you you pocketed between one and five million bucks if it was distributed evenly among the 26 families. Uh, so he, this guy, I have described him as a cyber terrorist. He's a cyber terrorist. He's performing this function on behalf of the deep state. It's absolutely god-awful what's going on here. And that's why this case is so damned important. I mean, it, this, 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 this wrongful decision, which is improper in virtually every possible way, must not stand. So I'm doing everything I can to get it set right. But we have to get rid of the social media censorship, YouTube, Google, Facebook— I was kicked off of Facebook a whole long time ago. Uh, I was kicked off of PayPal a whole long time ago. All kinds of resources that ought to be available to me are not available to me, and it's for political reasons. There's just no question about it. It's for political reasons. I had a guy, Tony Mead, on my, my, my show. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Go ahead caller. You can say it's like you're guilty of wrong think. That's like the 1984 level of censorship. Right, right. right. This is thought policing. This, this is awful. This is so totally un-American. It's so totally undemocratic. I mean, the country is turning into just a massive pile of BS. I mean, you know, it, really it's, unbelievable it's, what's happening to this country. It's quite ironic that they conspire behind closed doors to do these sort of things, to play thought police. Yes, they are. They, they are total thought police. That's what it's all about. Yeah, there should and be it, a law against that sort of thing, this sort of practice. Yes, that's why I say this strategic lawsuit, you know, against public participation, this slap suit, the states are gradually catching up with it. But I'm telling you right now, this is a, this is a huge uh, slap suit, and I'm hoping— you know, that it, it may become a major issue here in the United States. In other words, this is one of the uh, many people have said to me, well, you know, Jim, I mean, they couldn't possibly find for you because it would it would lead to the collapse. It's like a domino. Once people realize Sandy Hook was fraudulent and, and it's got the Obama administration at, at heart. I started to explain, Michael, yes. he nullified the Smith-Munn Act of 1948 by the Smith-Munn Modernization Act of 2012, just in time to bring a Sandy Hook. The Smith-Munn Act of 1948 precluded the use of the same techniques of disinformation and, and uh, 
and propaganda within the United States that are being used without. So now he's allowed, Barack Obama, authorize the use of the same techniques of propaganda disinformation within the United States that were previously used without. Here's a little tidbit. You got this guy who's rated that right now the number one uh, prospect for the Democratic nomination, Joe Biden. About a month before Sandy Hook on the program Greater Boston, which is hosted by Andy Rooney's daughter, the mayor, the then mayor of Boston, Tom Molino, went on and he was boasting about his close friendship with Joe Biden. And he said how the vice president confided to him that gun control would be a done deal by January of 2013. And Andy Rooney's daughter said, what in the world could happen to cause legislation to pass so fast? Because that was only two months hence. Obviously, he was in the know about Sandy Hook. That's what he was talking about. Joe Biden. Joe Biden, who leans down to a little girl when Senator Chris Coons is being you know, sworn in as senator. He leans down to the senator's daughter and says, and it's picked up by the microphone. You have any idea how horny it makes me to be standing next to a 13-year-old girl? This is Joe Biden. This is a sick even, guy. Even the Democrats, you know, they don't like Joe Biden. They're like, that. Hey, he is creepy. They don't even admit it. That's why oh, I hope he gets you. the nomination. I really do. Uh, he won't win. There's no one. Well, I don't think he's going to get the nomination either. And he had a very bad night. There are reports now his staff was just shocked by how badly he performed during the debate. Yes, let's get into that right now, Jim, since that is something that I did want to go over with you. Uh, this week, we did see the 2020 candidates for the Democratic Party. And uh, caller, did you have anything else to add to this? No, I, I just want to say I'll, I'll let you guys go. Thanks, guys. And shout out to uh, Vapor Bat Records. No problem, my friend. Thanks. Stay hey, safe thanks. out there, yeah, buddy. Yeah, you, you, you're raising good questions. Yes. What do you do about it? We got to recapture the First Amendment for crying out loud. This is going to require massive lawsuits, class action lawsuits. Google these these big giants that got to be broken up. Amazon.com has gone on a binge, as you were mentioning, Michael. Yes, sir. They, they've now banned five more of my books. Five more of my books. This is unprecedented in American history. Unprecedented. Oh, yes. It's it's quite an outrage to Six see. Six of my books. Is this, yeah, they're doing a, a uh, I guess you could say, an online book burning. It is. It is. It's an elect form of electronic book burning. It it's sure is. It's pretty disgusting. It's just absolutely stunning. Uh, I, look, when I, when I was growing up, I mean, uh, uh, I'm now 78. I never expected in my lifetime I'd see anything as horrific as this. This is this is gutting the United States. If you're not free to speak your mind in the United States, if you're not free to articulate criticism, if you're not free to do research, if you're not free to expose governmental corruption, then the United States stands for nothing, for nothing. And I am a, a man who served as a Marine Corps officer. I believe in my country. And I want the best for my country. And I've been taking my background and abilities, or because I'm an expert in areas where most are not, because I'm an expert in epistemology, methodology, and the philosophy of science, I can undertake research and bring together collaborators and figure out what's going on. That's far beyond the ability of the average American. So they want to take me out of the game because I'm too effective. That's what this is all about. I'm too effective. So they want to neutralize me 
and they had a very, very elaborate rig. I had a fellow, Tony Mead, who's very good on Sandy Hook, saying he had an exchange with Leonard Posner back in April, and Leonard was saying, you're going to watch Fetzer, your friend Fetzer, fry. My Leonard goodness. Posner was boasting to Tony Mead, which he explained on my show tonight, right before I came on with you, Michael. Actually, there was an hour break, because I'm from 6 to 8. Yes, sir. Uh, Eastern time. But he was explaining, Lenny was boasting to him back in April, you're going to see Fetzer, your friend Fetzer, fry. Well, that's a pretty damn thing to say. Well, of course. But, I mean, you know, he's got that much control. Tony was saying also in other contexts, he said he's untouchable. He's legally, you know, that no one can touch him legally. And, and I think that, uh, you know, he's really in a very, very deep. If you want a deep state operator, this guy is a prime candidate. He's the pick. And, yes, Jim, so much going on. And I was just going to say... I did want to get into the whole 2020 candidate uh, debate with you, which we saw uh, this week. We saw two of these uh, little shindigs go down, and I watched the whole thing. They, All the candidates, they try to connect with their base. That's kind of the goal for these kind of things. And uh, Cory Booker and Beto O'Rourke both tried their best to impress. I felt like they were trying a little too hard, in my opinion. Uh, Jim, did you have a yeah, chance to watch I, I, that? Yeah, I, I, I watched uh, parts of both. I think I saw more of the first, and but a lot of the second. I, I, can, I formed a lot of opinions. Yeah, yeah. the second was better. Uh, but, but, yeah, Biden isn't going to cut it. He, he's lost. Nobody's even talking about Bernie Sanders. So I think the torch has passed. Uh, Eric Solwell is a threat to the Second Amendment. He's a monster. He's one of the most irrational figures on the political scene. No one should take him seriously. Uh, this, uh, this guy, the Chinese guy, is a brilliant policy wonk, but he doesn't have the persona oh, to Yang. become president. But he's, bril he's brilliant. He's got some very interesting ideas. Mayor Pete is a very thoughtful guy. He's been, he's been handicapped by circumstances now. Yeah, uh, where I mean, when you talk about what happened in South Bend, obviously the cops have to be required to have their body cameras on any time they're dealing with an enforcement issue, and otherwise be fired. You you can't leave there any doubt about any option for the police to not use body cams. They ought to be everywhere. Every a law enforcement official ought to have a body cam, and if they did not use the body cam on an occasion when there's an incident in dispute, they should be fired. With no benefits, no pension, no nothing. Just give them the boot. Yeah, there's a Kamala, lot. Of... Kamala Harris uh -huh. is a very artificial candidate. She is the anointed one. The, all the media, they're trying to push Kamala Harris. Even Google said all the activity afterwards was about Kamala Harris. That's utterly fake. I don't believe it I'm for a second. You, I'm glad Kamala, you brought up Kamala Harris. Kamala Harris <laughs> suffers from two fatal defects. The first... She got her start in politics by boffing Willie Brown. It was well known at the time. He was sixty, she was thirty. He was her, she was his girlfriend. Oh damn! He gave her a couple of plum positions in California with nice salaries because they were having a, a relationship. That's number one. Are number you saying two, that was that was her Harvey Weinstein? Number two, my goodness, Jesse Smollett <laughs> is Kamala Harris's nephew. The Jesse Smollett thing in Chicago was staged in order to give a boost to this uh, anti-lynching uh, bill that, that Kamala Harris and Cory Booker were promoting. Uh, anyone who looks at the Jesse Smollett things, it was totally ridiculous. Here he is at 2 a.m. 
on the coldest night in Chicago, getting a, a sandwich at, at, at Subway and supposedly two, two uh, uh, rednecks approach him to beat him up and they have a bottle of bleach, which, by the way, would be frozen solid at that temperature. And they supposedly put a, 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 a noose on him. <laughs> yes. It was all contrived. He paid for it with a personal check for $3,500. One of the guys is extra on the set. The other is his personal trainer. These are bodybuilders from Nigeria, for God's sake. They have video inside the hardware store where they bought this stuff. It was totally fake. Now, the, the attorney, whose name is uh, uh, Fox, released, you know, decided not to charge Jesse Smollett with obvious offenses. I mean, there are a half a dozen serious offenses here. Uh, it turns out she regards Kamala Harris as her mentor. And this, I think her name is Kim Fox. Uh, she did this as a political gesture. She she was even contacted by Michelle Obama's uh, chief of staff. This is totally political. Kamala Harris cannot get away from this. This is going to be her doom. If she's a candidate, these two issues I'm talking about right now are going to guarantee her defeat. Now, there's a, a Elizabeth Warren... Just I find her uh, whole manner so annoying. It's like you got a a a a maiden <laughs> school teacher, you That's know, funny. a third grade school teacher who's giving you a lecture. She does give she, off that impression. That's she, true. Oh, she <laughs> she's just ridiculous. And of course, she shot herself in the foot with this DNA. You and I have more Native American DNA than Elizabeth Warren, who actually capitalized on it. I most she's likely not, do. In my opinion, she's not a credible candidate. I, I the most one, <laughs> the one who is going to emerge from the pack, and it's going to be surprising, is a senator from Hawaii, the, the Tulsi Gabbard. Actually, she's a representative. She's She has military experience. She's anti-war in the sense she's a non-interventionist. She's very thoughtful. She's very principled. She speaks extremely well, highly intelligent, well-educated. The only flaw I found in her heretofore, although they, she talks about the, the, the al-Qaeda having attacked us on 9-11 when it was the CIA, the neocons in the Department of Defense and the Mossad, 9-11 was an Israeli op to draw the United States into the Middle East to take out the modern Arab states that serve as a counterbalance, Israel's domination of the entire region, and eventually to confront the Persian nation of Iran. But she hasn't quite understood the role of gun control here in the United States. Listen, they, they talk about, uh, they, as though it were the case, that the more guns, the more gun violence. It's precisely the opposite. The more guns, the less gun violence, because the bad guys don't know where the good guys are and how much trouble they could get in. It's, it's universal. If you look at a, a, a map of demographics worldwide, the United States and Canada have the highest gun ownership and the lowest mortality, lowest homicide rate. South, middle, and Latin America, South America, like Brazil, low gun ownership, high homicide rate. Africa, low gun ownership, high homicide rate. Russia, low gun ownership, high homicide rate. What they're not telling you, and people like Eric Swalwell, you know, he is just. A, a major menace. I think he is just absolutely despicable, the Swalwell guy, who wants to take our guns away at force. He wants to use the army. He's even suggested if there are pockets of resistance, they should be nuked. This is a man who has so little regard for the Constitution and the Second Amendment. Let me tell you, we need guns to protect ourselves, our persons, and our families. We need guns to protect our communities 
in our society. We need guns to protect our national security. Emperor Hirohito was contemplating invading the United States, but his highest military advisors told him it was a bad idea because there'd be a sniper behind every blade of grass. Americans use guns defensively for, to protect themselves between a half a million and three million times a year. The latest studies have shown the defensive use of guns by Americans are saving anywhere from 160 to 200,000 lives every single year. 160,000 to 200,000 lives are saved every year by Americans because they have the defensive use of guns. What Trump needs to do is pass a national concealed carry. The problem in Chicago should have been obvious enough that every American could look at it as a pilot project. They have the strictest gun laws in the country and among the highest gun violence rates. That obvious, it doesn't work because it leaves the law-abiding citizens helpless to defend themselves against the criminals. The NRA had it right way back when they said, when guns are outlawed, only outlaws will have guns. I mean, it's insane. So you got the Democratic Party right now promoting the idea of, of letting endless numbers of immigrants into this country illegally and even giving them health care for free. I mean, it's lunatic. No, more and than that. But yeah. also promoting gun control. They want to take our weapons away so we'll be defenseless. Listen, Dave Hodges observed long ago, during the 20th century, there were 19 democides. This was slaughters of whole societies. In each case, they were preceded by gun confiscation. Don't let America become number 20. Indeed. And I thought the last uh, debate was a train wreck, just like you were describing. Uh, basically, all candidates, they make Obama look like a Republican, in my opinion, Jim. And also, what? you mentioned Andrew Yang. You said he... Um, you thought highly of Andrew Yang. Uh, the thing is, he's reporting that he believes, in his opinion, that his microphone was actually turned off or muted during the debate. Oh, really? That's what he, yeah, that's what he's reporting. That's what I last read, according to thehill.com. Well, I'll tell you, well, the Hill's pretty reliable. The Hill's very good. It's, of course, published for those who work on Capitol Hill. So, I mean, it is a high reliability rating. And Yang is a totally honest guy. If he said so, I bet it's true. They they do all these dirty tricks. They do. I'm telling you, coming out of the gate, Kamala Harris was the anointed one. Kamala Harris yes. is supposed to be the Democratic nominee. She won't have a chance against Donald Trump. That's my opinion. No Trump is not a flawless guy. In fact, the reason he was elected was his, his declaration to get the United States out of the Middle East, that he wanted to end those wars. And now he's talking about going to war with Iran? That's absurd. He's got too much of a Zionist or Israeli foreign policy dictated by Bibi Netanyahu. But I'm telling you, if he can just get his head screwed on right about foreign policy, he's doing so many other things that are right. He'll be a shoe-in for another uh, another four years, a shoe-in. Yes, and you mentioned Kamala Harris now. And... You know, I have to mention, she was someone who stood out the most in terms of what she told Biden. And, of course, that's what's making the media rounds uh, today. That was one of the most uh, backhanded compliments I've ever heard. Uh, Joe Biden at first thought he was going to get propped up. And then Kamala Harris with the cheap shot there, which was a well, brilliant setup. I thought that was pretty comedic, in my opinion. Well, well, well done. People are being hated and abetted <laughs> wow. by Hollywood producers and directors and screenwriters. She didn't have to say. Writers. She didn't have to say that either. I just thought, like, wow, she went for it on national TV. 
Well, she's trying to make herself stand out. I mean, that was it was a lot like a food fight. She had it good was. lines. She, she, she did. She, she had several good lines, but I'm telling you, I don't think she's sustainable. I don't think so this, either, this, though. Yeah. This Jussie Smollett thing was so corrupt. Listen, if I'm Donald Trump, I'm running against Kamala Harris. You're going to hear it. I'm going to have two commercials again and again and again. Willie Brown, she got her start by humping Willie Brown, and everyone knew about it. She's a political whore. That's going to be one thing. The other is she's totally corrupt. That she'll stage fake hate crimes to promote her political prospects, which he did with Jussie Smollett. And, and even Michelle Obama got her chief of staff involved in that. I frankly believe what's going to happen is there's going to be so much disagreement among all these candidates, these 20 or so, that we're going to find that the solution is proposed here uh, a while down the track, that Michelle Obama will come in and save the day. Do you Personally, know that Barack Obama yes. and Michelle Obama are still the most admired man and a woman in America? I believe so, yeah. Well, it's it's ludicrous if you know the facts of the matter. And, and I'm telling you, people just don't realize how much they're being conned. Michelle Obama used to play football at, at Oregon State when her name was Michael Robinson. She transferred to Princeton and changed her persona to female. Uh, uh, her, her physician, who was then with the campaign, walked in on her taking a leak in a trailer near Trenton, and she was standing up. He felt he had to come out with the truth. He'd been paid millions not to reveal it. Michelle Obama is not a, a, a man who has been transformed into a woman. Michelle Obama is a man with breast implants. And, and another diligent student actually found the real parents of the children. The, obviously, two men cannot have children. Uh, but w w a diligent researcher found the actual parents, and it was her new physician and their children. And where the older girl looks just like her father and the younger girl looks just like her mother. And I say these things because I don't believe the American people deserve to be conned again and again and again. Barack Obama really was born in Kenya. Barack Obama really wasn't eligible to be president of the United States. Donald Trump really was right when he said there was something funny about Obama's birth certificate. I did the research myself. I tell you, I don't make assertions I can't back up. And, you know, under certain circumstances, I could show you images, photographs that would demonstrate that I'm right about Michelle Obama. This is a man with breast implants. If the American people want to elect as president a man with breast implants, I say have at it. I'm all for it. <laughs> Amazing. But you got to know it's got to be truth in advertising. That's what I don't like. I despise lies and liars, phonies and frauds, and that's what I'm committed to 100%. Love that. And, of course, another thing that I found interesting, and it goes along with what we're talking about now or what, what you brought up just now, uh, every candidate supports a bill forcing male athletes into uh, girls' sports, and I'm, I'm talking about those uh, that are transitioning is what I'm referring to, Jim. Well, well, there's so many things going on here. See, we didn't realize how much the Obamas represented an attempt to transform American culture with all of this gay and lesbian stuff. I mean, look, I don't care. Different strokes for different folks. I don't care if you're gay or not gay. No, we don't care, care about that. that. Of course but the not. the point is, they're, they're trying to pollute the culture. They're trying to degrade. Israel doesn't put up with this, just as Israel doesn't put up with 5G. And I'll tell you that everything I've seen about 5G, it's a killer. 5G is a killer. 
This is a technology to bring about dramatic population reduction. And Michael, this isn't the time to launch into a whole new area. But I'm telling you, based upon what I have learned so far, this is really, really serious stuff. And I say, if America, look, even Claire McCaskill, Chuck Schirmer, uh, uh, Howard Dean, uh, and, uh, and Nancy Pelosi verified that Barack Obama was eligible to run for president when he was not eligible to run for president. He, he had this great character. He had this great persona. He was tall, dark, and handsome. He could deliver a wonderful speech. The whole world swooned over Barack Obama. He was given a Nobel Peace Prize when he hadn't even lifted his least digit. The, yeah, the Messiah. There's so many absurdities to politics in the United States. It's beyond belief. Oh, I just a, say, look, a... we've gone through it once with this Barack Obama guy. Do you know this whole thing about children in cages was implemented by the Barack Obama administration? Of course. That, that guy was the head of DHS, was just quoted on TV here, admitting that with they, they, it was their decision, it was their policy to put kids in cages, but no one complained about it at the time. It's only because they're they're on this absolute obsession with Donald Trump. And he, he didn't do any Russian hacking, for God's sake. I'm sure I've been on talking with you about that before, Michael. I mean, the whole thing was totally phony and contrived, and Hillary Clinton is very much at the heart of all of this corruption. It's profound corruption. Yes, just to go back to what I was saying right now, I got a private message asking me what I was talking about. I just wanted to quickly say the Democratic, uh, democratically controlled House of Representatives voted Friday 236 to 173 in favor of the Equality Act, which would require schools to include male athletes who identify as transgender girls on a female sports teams and all the candidates for the uh, 2020 here, uh, the Democrats, all of them are in favor of this bill. And again, I have zero issues with anyone. Michael. Yes. It's destroying women's sports. It, it is. You have men I, who are describing right, themselves right. as women is setting new records in women's sports because they aren't women. Yes, I personally have it's, no... It's just, a, it's just a disgrace. It is, it is. And I have no issues with anyone out there wanting to get married. Uh, I believe everyone should have the right... Uh, that opportunity if they want to be just as miserable as the rest of those in heterosexual marriages. No problem with me. I go ahead and do that. But when it comes to playing sports, I, I can't fully support a man who transitions and begins competing against a women. Men are physically stronger than women. Uh, you know, women produce more white blood cells than men do. But when it comes to just being naturally stronger, men have that advantage it's just well, course, it's just it's a fact humanic. it's evolutionary for crying out loud yeah, they don't i publish on this sort of right. stuff i've got a book on the evolution of intelligence about the emergence of human mentality from it's it's animal precursors and and you know i mean i've done a huge amount of research in this whole area of the relationship between the, and the differences between genetic evolution and cultural evolution because genetic is slow and is a function of reproduction, which can take a certain period of time, whereas cultural evolution can proceed at the rate of transmission of information virtually at the speed of light. I mean, there are all these fascinating differences. There's all this stuff going on in the background. Oh, yeah. And the fact is that Democrats are just – look, I used to be a Democrat. I That's voted true. twice for you, Bill Clinton. I voted twice voted for, for Barack Obama. Obama. Right. When it came to Hillary Clinton versus Donald Trump, it was no contest. Hillary is a sadist. She's been responsible for the slaughter of Libya. 
she has been into this this uh, Pizzagate thing, and people don't want to believe it. But I'm telling you, when they just got the hold of the Anthony Weiner laptop, there were hardened police and the NYPD who were reduced to tears by the, by the brutality, the savagery, the sadism of actions that Hillary Clinton was captured performing on videos there on young a young girl. My goodness. And by the way, Jim, I do have an audio clip here of that uh, Democratic debate of the uh, 2020 candidates here. Uh, let's play that clip, Jim. Go ahead. I would like to speak I, on the issue of race. <laughs> Senator Harris, and so what I will say, say is that I If I could preface this, we will give you 30 seconds since we're going to come back to you on, on this again in just a moment. Go for 30 seconds. Okay. So on the issue of race, I couldn't agree more that this is an issue that is still not being talked about truthfully and honestly. I, there is not a black man I know, be he a relative, a friend, or a co-worker, who has not been the subject of some form of profiling or discrimination. Growing up, my sister and I had to deal with the neighbor who told us her parents couldn't play with us because, she, because we were black. And I will say also that, that in this campaign, we've also heard, and I'm going to now direct this at Vice President Biden, um, I do not believe you are a racist. And I agree with you when you commit yourself to the importance of finding common ground. But I also believe, and it is personal, and I was actually very, it was hurtful, to hear you talk about the reputations of two United States senators who built their reputations and career on the segregation of race in this country. And it was not only that, but you also worked with them to oppose busing. And, you know, there was uh, a little girl Mike, in California. Yeah. Go ahead, I just got to I just I just got to say, you know, go ahead, go uh, ahead. I love doing the shows with you. Uh, I, I, uh, Kamala Harris is a is a is an elaborate fraud. She's going to take in a lot of the American people. She's going to get a lot of support. She's not going to be able to cut it. She will not be the first woman president of the United States. I guarantee you. Donald Trump will take her apart. I've already given you the two basic lines of attack. Yes. She also ha she also grew up a life of privilege. She's from a very wealthy family. Her father, I, I mean, for God's sake, he's a professor at Stanford. Yeah, she's not a poor yeah, woman. Yeah, look into this. The American <laughs> people don't allow themselves to be played. And for God's sake, what you're going to watch down the road, they're going to spring Michelle Obama as the solution to the Democrats' problem. You just think long and hard. I want you to know you're not getting truth in advertising. I don't care. We can elect anyone we want as president, but you're not. You need to know what you're getting, and you're what you're not being told. You're you're not getting what you think you're getting. It's completely different. And I'm just afraid the cultural effects, the consequences of having this gay couple in the White House without the public knowing, have been very far-reaching. And all this, you know, I, I as I say, I'm all for. Uh, individuals living happy lives. Sure. I don't have any problem with gay marriage and all that. But there are ramifications of our culture that the Democrats, it seems to me, are pell-mell destroying right and left. They're eager to do it. Bringing in massive numbers of immigrants, they want that because they think they're going to vote Democratic. They're talking about reparations for slavery. That's trying to bribe the black vote. Reparations for slavery, that's an absurdity. Taking down the statues to our Civil War heroes, that, that's trying to destroy American culture so we forget who we are as a people. There are a lot of ominous signs on the horizon 
Michael. I'll be glad to come back again yes. and talk about them another occasion. Yes, but no I, problem. I, 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 if I don't go up and, and rejoin my wife, you know, I don't want to. I, I, I have obligations to yeah, her. You're going you're gonna to get beat up, Jim, if you don't go. Well, well I'll, <laughs> tell you, I'll tell you, Michael. It's a real pleasure coming on with you. You're my favorite host, okay? I, I really enjoy I, our shows immensely. Yes, so. Jim, I really appreciate the kind words. And, Jim, go ahead and plug your website before you go. And always an honor and pleasure, Jim. Oh, J- jamesfetzer.org. Jamesfetzer.org. And then there's the Raw Deal, Monday, Wednesday, Friday on Revolution Radio Studio A from 6 to 8 p.m. If you go to go to jamesfetzer.org, you can see a link to the radio show right there, and you get all the blogs, and you'll see my last four blogs about the Sandy Hook lawsuit. And just realize this is a very, very serious case, and I was set up, and I intend to fight this very vigorously. I hope they may to. have one round one, but I guarantee you, I don't expect them to prevail in round two. Amazing. Don't lose uh, the fight in you, Jim. I shall not. I shall not. This is not just for me. This is for the American people. We deserve better. I agree. All right, Jim, take care, and I'll see you again on the other side, my friend. Thank you so much. All right. My mahalo. Real, real pleasure. Yes, sir. Bye-bye. Bye. And there he goes. Ladies and gentlemen, that was the one and only Jim Fetzer, great guy, great guest. Really do appreciate him coming in here and uh, hanging out with all of us here tonight. It was a pretty extraordinary time. And I do want to thank all of you out there as well for hanging out with me here tonight. I know we are on the original uh, channel for this program, but tomorrow night I will be back live and direct with all of you, 7 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. You know, the, the same bat time, same bat channel over on the secondary YouTube channel that I have created. Definitely go there. I'll be live and direct with Eric Gajewski and Marilyn Hughes. So much to discuss with all of them. And of course, I do want to thank those who will be listening to this on a replay. And of course, those who are in the chat room now. Always fun to see those familiar names. Thank you so much to everyone who hung out in uh hung out with me here tonight and those who called in love hearing your calls i'm michael deacon and with that said the world is a mysterious place and life itself is a mystery until next time good night everybody